Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. This episode, we head down to Manchester, Connecticut and visit our friend Rob McGow from Manchester BJJ. This episode, we talk about what it's like to be in law enforcement, talk about family, his first day on the job, the history of his academy, Pedro Sauer, the famous Keith Owen six-hour seminar, um, stress reduction for police officers, why it's important to train jiu-jitsu as a police officer. So we hear two powerful stories that basically render me speechless, which is a pretty rare occurrence. Um, this is a really good episode, and it made me made me look at things from a different way for sure, and I encourage everybody to listen to this one. I think everybody could get something out of this. If you're ever in the area in Manchester, Connecticut, uh, make sure you go visit Rob and Rich McKeegan and their whole crew. Excellent human beings, beautiful academy, um, really awesome place. So, as always, this episode is brought to you by the world-famous Tortuga Soap Company. All kinds of things to keep you looking and smelling good, keeping you clean. Tortugasoap.com. If you enter the discount code PODCAST, you'll get 20% off. Port City BJJ. Home of the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Make sure you check us out in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, portcitybjj.com. Uh, BJJ Prehab. Custom videos designed to help you prevent injuries and keep you on the mat. Enter the discount code TORTUGA and you can get your first month free. BJJPrehab.com. This episode is also brought to you by We Are Dapper Ties. Quality knit ties at an affordable price. Enter the discount code ROLL and you will get free shipping. WeAreDapperTies.com Beauty to Beast. My wife makes jewelry. You can find it at BeautyToBeast.etsy.com If you enter the discount code RIDDLER, you'll get 10% off, so make sure you check that out. And BJJ in Paradise. Our friend Brad Wolfson and the, and the guys at La, La Colonia BJJ in Puerto Escondido, Mexico, Put on really an amazing experience. Should definitely go. It's in April. I'll be there. My favorite trip. Beautiful place. Amazing training. Um, and probably the coolest academy, jiu-jitsu academy, um, you'll ever go to. So if you get the opportunity, make sure you uh, head to that. Check that out, bjjinparadise.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, while you're at it, Check out the Red Wing Superior Podcast Network. It's the network that puts this whole thing together. So without them, there'd be no podcast. It's a bunch of other cool podcasts that you should check out, including one that I do, which is non-jujitsu related, Stray the Course. Thanks, everybody, for the support. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Rob and everybody at Manchester BJJ, Rich McKeegan, for having us down. Good training, everybody. Peace. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Uh, I forgot what the name of the podcast is. We're in Manchester, Connecticut. Just trained with my friend, with our friend, Rob Megow. 
Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, it's uh, Mago. It's, it's actually, my dad was Portuguese, so it's Magal is how they pronounce it over there, but it became Mago over here years and years and years ago, so that's, what, that's how it's pronounced. All now. right. Because right. I think I usually say Magal, but... Yep, that's, that's actually the correct way. All right. But no one ever does it anymore, so yeah. <laughs> you're out of the game. Um, that was an awesome class, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It was super fun. Um, so I was telling Rob before, like, just a couple minutes ago, like, I have great memories of every time I come here. Yeah. Because I think the first time we came here was the New England submission-only championships yep. where uh-huh. Amanda had an hour and 48-minute <laughs> match that she won oh, via... She's a legend among us. The oh, best. Actually, no, oh, that's <laughs> People talk about it at least a couple it. times a month. It's Dude, amazing. People actually recognize me from that. Yep. They see me at a jiu-jitsu, like, whatever we're doing, and they're like, hey, I remember you. It's like, that is seriously crazy. It's actually, it actually came up a couple days ago. Uh, there's a university in Connecticut that wants to hold a submission-only challenge. Yeah. And they were asking me, like, how we run it and all that kind of thing. And, and they're like, well, what do you do if, if uh, the end of the 15 minutes comes and nobody's won? I'm like, well, then they're both eliminated unless it's the championships. Then you know they go until they're done, and and they're like, well, what's the longest match you've ever had? And then <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm like, wow Look it, at that. it was almost two hours. I said, you know, Amanda Law from uh, New Hampshire. Unbelievable. Very cool, huh? So it's kind of cool. Wow. It lives on. Every time we bring it up, Andrea says to me because I was coaching, uh, I was exhausted <laughs> coaching, and Andrea was like, Andrea kept saying to me during the whole match, like, I gotta pee, Dad, I gotta pee, and I was like, it'll be over soon, you know. It was not. <laughs> no, but, but it's one of those things where she, I can't put words in her mouth, but I, I would imagine that that's a life lesson. Like, it's people think, oh, it's going to be a 15 minute match, but then it goes almost two hours. You find things in yourself that you probably never knew existed, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and 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 you realize that life's a fight. Every time you get up in the morning, you know, the alarm clock, or fighting traffic to go to work, or fighting disease or whatever, and. On the mat that long, it, it instills something in you yeah. where you know you're not going to quit. You're going to yeah. instill. You're going to overcome. You know, oh, man. and it carries off for the rest of your life. Man, I, I, it brought, I felt it brought like the life out of me. You know what I mean? It, I felt so good when I finished that. You would have thought I would have felt like terrible, but I felt so good. How'd you feel the days after that? <laughs> oh, I was. <laughs> my face was all scabby. I had scabs all underneath my chin. Yeah, my skin was all peeling off. It was. It was. A, Oh man! Well, I can only imagine. <laughs> it was rough, but, but it afterwards also, they felt good. It also though brought up every, everybody that saw it, mm-hmm. like saw that that, could, that is possible. Because they all yeah. do jujitsu and they understand what that must be like yeah. to a degree. They can't 100 percent understand, but they know that. Wow, I can only imagine. Right. And that like you could roll for an hour and 48 minutes yeah. in a tournament. You know, like you would, you would think. And they weren't just laying there. I mean, they no, were oh, for it. <laughs> that was a war. There was a lot of triangle attempts, like tight and stuff. I remember it was. There was, was a lot of. There was a war. That ch- the chick was tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a tough woman. Yeah. Uh, that you fought in that. Strong. She was, was so strong. But once the strength wore off, that's when I was able to shine. Because mm-hmm. I'm not super strong, but I'm technical. You know what I mean? So. Once, Absolutely. Once she started to get all Elvisy, she was all shaking like that. I was like, yes. I'm here. <laughs> that's when uh, I started. That was your first time here? I think so. I think that was our first time here, right? Yeah. And then, and so it was, you know, I mean, one, it's an amazing gym. Yeah, it's like huge and awesome. Um, with great people. So, but then you come and do that and you're like, 
I'll never forget this place. Then, I think like Pedro Sauer was coming, and I sent you a message. I was like, hey man, is it cool? I do a podcast. Like, I think I don't even know how, but you were like, oh yeah, I'll see if it's. You know, see if he wants to do it. You didn't, I don't even barely know you, mm-hmm. and uh, and you set it up and like we did a podcast with Pedro Sauer and you and Keith, um, and that was like one of the coolest. That was the best. That was a great podcast. He actually mentioned it last time he was up. Oh, no he, kidding. Yeah, he's like, oh, remember the last time we did that? Yeah. He says, Are they coming down? I'm like, huh? Sure. We were headed. We were going somewhere, but like I saw him. He remembered you. Oh man, yeah. I will never forget it. I mean, that was like. Um, I'm gonna to try to get down to visit him in uh, his in, place is amazing in Virginia. Yeah, it's a, it, amazing school, amazing people. There's so much talent. When I go down there, when he has these big camps, people come from everywhere. It's uh, I mean, you walk in and you know, you got Luis Heredia. Yeah. Know, all the, you know, all yeah. these people. And you're like, wow, I don't even belong here. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, why am I sitting at the same table with these people? That's how I felt sitting with you guys. Cool. Like, you guys. The biggest, I mean, there was a lot to take away, but one, the main thing that I took away from that podcast was, like, the love you and Keith had for Pedro Sauer. You know what I mean? And how great of a human being that guy is. Like, he is, and exactly what you see on the map is every bit of what he is in the real, because I've hung out with him for extensive periods of time off the map. You know, he stays at my house every time he comes up. He doesn't want to stay in a hotel. He plays with my kids. He... It's dinner with our family. You know, he, like he's part of us when when he's here, and when I go down there, it's the same thing. He's a genuine person. Yeah, it was awesome. And then the next time I think we came was Black Belts for Butterflies, and that is obviously like a life changing thing too. I mean, that is two days of. Uh, um, Feel good, you know. I don't know. What I can't take credit for that one. That's all, Rich. Yeah, but man, you provide. You know, they, they, you have some. I mean, Rich does an amazing thing, and that is a great. And and I'm super psyched to be here today and train with Rich too. Mm-hmm. Like that was uh, that was really nice. Another another genuine good person. Another genuine good person. Um, but black belts for butterflies. Hopefully, anybody that listening that is listening will come to the next one. Um, I know he's going to do another one here in Connecticut at some point, sometime soon. Um, and then he does one in California, in different places. So that is an event that is, is taught me about giving back to, to the community and how, how amazing jujitsu can be as a vehicle to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so let's talk about. You were, are you retired? Well, I did, I did 20, yes and no. <laughs> I did 20 years as a, little over 20 years as a police officer in the Hartford County area, uh, West Hartford Police Department. And um, I retired after 20 years of service, but then I decided to go right back into it again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually still am a full-time police officer, uh, a small, much smaller farm town now. But, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of in my blood and it's, yeah. it's hard to walk away. And uh, I don't know what else I would really do. I mean, I, I can do jiu-jitsu, but at the same time, I still feel like I belong doing that. Uh, can't really put words to it, just that I'm still meant to do it. So I still get out there and do it on a daily basis, but not to the same degree that I used to, but I'm out there. What's West Hartford like? West Hartford's a very diverse community. So 
Um, some people will lump it in with Hartford, which it's not, and some people will lump it in with, you know, um, you know the more richer communities, which part of it is. Um, but it's a community of about 70,000. Uh, we got about 130 police officers, um, you know, detective division and SWAT team and patrol and bike squad and community service. Train. We train officers from like 20 different departments that come there to get training. They're actually a staple in the training community around New England. Um, very well respected agency. Um, probably one of the most diverse places in Connecticut. Every religion you can think of, every socioeconomic status, every political belief, every, I mean, it's really a melting pot. And there is um, communities within the town that are ultra rich, like, you know, multi-million dollar homes uh, on the hill looking over the city. And then there's, you know, places that are very poor, you know, that are, uh, have the same inner city problems as any major city. Um, so it's a pretty diverse place to work. And you can be one minute crossing a little old lady, you know, helping her across the road, and the next minute you could have a bank robber at you know gunpoint, and you know ten minutes later you could be you know you know teaching some kids how to ride a bike at the school. You know, it's very very diverse community. Mm. So I, I loved working there. I miss it immensely. The people, um, and uh, you know twenty years of doing the same thing every day, and then walking away from it, it's like it's hard. Yeah. But uh, you know you got to move on, and you know. My time was up there. I could have stayed longer, but, you know, I got three kids and my wife and, and this school and everything else, and my job there as a detective and on the SWAT team was very demanding, and it just got to a point where my kids were getting at an age where I don't want to miss, you know, baseball games and all that kind of stuff, and mm -hmm. I felt like it was time to move on. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, I got nine. Mm -hmm. I got one, uh, no, I'm sorry, 10, 12. They just turned. They, yeah, they just yeah. changed. But 10, 12, and 17. So my oldest is a senior in high school. He just had his last football game. He was team captain, nice. and, uh, for the, you know, this year, and just had his last football game of high school. And looks like he's going to play in college, so that's pretty wow. cool. Yeah. yeah, haven't 100 percent committed to a certain place yet, but it, it, they're they're falling, and it looks like he's going to play. So that's pretty cool. That's great. So how did you start jujitsu originally? Well, it's uh, it's interesting because I started martial arts when I was about seven years old. Yeah, after school program in elementary school that I was going at. And the, uh, it was a judo club. The sensei was Sensei Lenny LeBlanc. He's long past now, but uh, he actually taught from a wheelchair because uh, he had uh, something wrong with one of his legs and stuff like that. But uh, it was an after-school program, and we met once or twice a week. I don't even remember, to be honest. I think it was twice a week. And uh, it was pretty, pretty intense, you know, judo, regular judo class. And did that for a period of time. I, I couldn't even tell you how long, you know, because it's so long ago, and I was just a kid. It could have been six months. It could have been six years. But I think it was around a year or two. And, uh, and then that program kind of fizzled out, and there really wasn't anything else in my community for a while. So then about early teens, I found Gojiru Karate. Did you and, grow up here? Oh, Killingly, Connecticut is where I grew up. And um, I found a guy by the name of Paul Zemitis. He was teaching out of a dojo in his backyard. He was an ex-military guy. And uh, he taught a pretty you know, rigid system of Okinawan karate and uh, mixed in a lot of Japanese jiu-jitsu. And um, from there, I, I got my black belts under him in, in, in those arts and then moved on from that, uh, actually being a police officer. I was like 23 years old. And I'll never forget, it was my, I was just telling Amanda, actually, I was my first night of the job, first call, and we got, you know, full rocking domestic, you know, to break the door down and get in. And, you know, there's a husband beating up his wife. And, 
we, you know, kids are screaming, there's food cooking on the stove, dogs barking, like it's <laughs> insane, you know, and this is my first experience to police work, you know, so I have to go in, and I remember the FTO, I'll never forget, he's like, well, let's see what you got, kid, wow. you know, that was, that's what he said as we're going in the door, Ooh. so, you know, here I am, like, what, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I have no idea what's happening, I grab onto this guy, and it's on, you know, we're into the stove, and we're into the refrigerator, and, you know, finally we get him down, of course the other cop's helping me, yeah. but it was so much harder than oh. I ever imagined. Yeah. And he was smaller than me and not in the same shape that I was. And, and I was like, man, when people are actually fighting for their freedom or for their life, it's like totally different than in, you know, tussling around in class. And there's a strength that comes out of people that is not normally there mm -hmm. that you can't, you can't recreate uh, in training. So I, I got him down and we got him cuffed, but I couldn't believe how difficult it was. And, and at this point, I got two black belts already, and I'm thinking, man, I need to fix this. <laughs> you know, like this is yeah. a deficiency. So there was no jiu-jitsu schools at the time. There was one place. What year was this? Do you know, uh, 97. Yeah, 1997. So early 97. So um, started looking around and um, uh, basically started doing seminars. That would come. There was no schools. You know, now we got all these great schools yeah. in Connecticut. You know, mm -hmm. Soulcraft and Gracie Farmington Valley and Underdog and all these. You know. Soul Fighters. We got you know Luigi Mandelli out in yeah. Danbury. We got a great place you know here, um, but back then there was nothing you know and uh, nothing in my area anyway. And uh, so I started you know Black Belt Magazine, Gracie you know got the tape, got the Gracie tapes and Gracie in action. Yeah, with those, but there was the Gracie instructional VHS. Uh, yeah. So myself and Jimmy Codges, who was just here, he's a black belt. Yeah. He was a cop for 20 years. Um, we would get together and play these tapes and practice the moves, and that's how we we kind of self taught ourselves for the first few years. And then um, I basically uh, met uh, Kenny Florian, yeah. and that was early 2000s, and uh, started going up to Boston, Sichotong, Boston, Mark Delagrati's place, yeah. and taking private lessons with him and with Kenny and his brother Keith sometimes. And I made it from uh, all the way, once I got my blue belt, he's like, you know, you can start, because I was running a school from 99 on, but it was more under the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu flag. And then once I got my blue belt, Kenny's like, if you want to switch over to Jiu-Jitsu, EJJ, you can. And I did, and you know, I lost a couple students because they didn't want to take their belts off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I'm yeah. like, I just made the decision, we're changing, and that's it. Oh, so you completely like, yeah, yeah, stopped so, you know, all the Everybody stuff takes their belts off, and we're starting over. Yeah. And um, you know, a couple guys didn't want to do that, yeah. and they left, and the rest stayed with me, and, and here we are. But um, I stayed under Kenny until I got a purple belt. His UFC career was right. really taken off at that point. Um, it became very difficult between his schedule and my schedule to make it work. And uh, that's when um, kind of split ways, but under under positive yeah. way, in a positive mm -hmm. manner. I still have great respect for him. Mm -hmm. Learned a ton from him. Um, and then I met uh, Peter Sauer. So awesome. How'd you meet him? So it all started with YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on YouTube just watching uh, videos, yeah. and I came across. Uh, of course, I always knew who Peter Sauer right. was, but I'm thinking I ain't gonna train with Peter. So I never even crossed my mind, you know. Uh, so uh, I'm watching this video, and this guy from. Idaho, he's, and his name is Keith Owen, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, BJJMoves.com, I think was the website. Wow. So I'm watching the video, and I'm like, oh, this guy seems pretty good. I had no idea where he lived or nothing at the time. I, I later found out he was from Idaho. So I sent him an email, and I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Rob, you know, I don't know if you do seminars, but I have this school in Connecticut, I'm a purple belt, whatever, and uh, it was like 10 minutes, my phone rings, because wow. I left my phone number. It's like, hey, Rob, this is Keith Owen, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, so yeah, I'll come out. So like, just comes out and it stays at my house and everything. 
trains. We're training for, he did a six-hour seminar. Wow. Six hours. Oh, my God. It was three hours gi, three hours no gi, with literally a 20-minute break in the middle. Guys were, like, dying at the office. Yeah, and it was, uh, so he comes out, he does a seminar, and he's like, I really like you guys. You guys are great. Who's your black belt? I'm like, actually, I don't really have one right now. I said, I'm, you know, kind of in the transition trying to find somebody. And he's and I'm and I'm and uh, he's like, well, you know what? I said, well, I said, are you looking for people to be you know, to be under you? And he's like, you don't want me, you want my instructor, which I thought was like unbelievable, unbelievable thing yeah. to say. He's yeah. like, because he could have easily, you know, broke, not right? roped me. No. He could have basically said like, oh yeah, you you come with me, you know. But right. he's like, oh no, you don't want me. You want my teacher. Yeah. He's like, I'm a nobody, yeah. you know. Which Keith's awesome, you know. He is awesome. And uh, he's like, you want Pedro Sauer? And I'm like, yeah. How is that going to happen? Of course I you know? do. You know, so. So then he, you know, he's like, I'm going down to see him soon. I'll let you know when I go. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'll get some kind of a you know, head start notice. <laughs> so it's like a Wednesday night, and he texts me. And at the time, I wasn't a big texter, so I had to figure out how to do it. Oh. <laughs> and he's like texting me. He's like, hey, uh, I'm going down to see Professor Sauer. Um, Andre Galval was going to be there uh, as well. There's oh. a big camp. Yeah. And, I'm, and uh, he's like, it's in Louisville, Kentucky, this guy, Alan Meganello's uh, place. Alan's a great guy. He's actually a cop, too. And um, I'm like, Louisville, Kentucky, that's a ways. He's like, yeah, like, when is it? I'm thinking, you know, a month from now. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's Saturday. <laughs> you know? So Jimmy and I got in the car. We drove 18 whatever hours Ooh. all the way there and uh, trained with them and met Professor. And yeah. from there, I just went down to his place a bunch, you know, several times. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I had to roll with all of his guys. And he had me teach something and, you know, got to know me, went to dinner with me and stuff like that. And then he just... Basically said, "Hey, come on over." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you can be under us." Fantastic. So that's that's how it started. What belt were you at the time? Purple. Yeah. Yep. yep. So I went through my purple belt, brown belt, black belt, and then degrees of black with, mm-hmm. with him. So it's been about uh, ten years. That's great. Yeah. So as you started in police work with zero Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. and then got into it, like. Did it? How did it help you? The most that it helped me was stress reduction. Yeah. Oh. You know, most people think the self-defense aspect, which yes, but um, honestly, it's stress reduction. Mm-hmm. Because I don't wow. care where you work, I don't care if it's a small town or a big city. Um, even the, sometimes the small towns are worse because you know the family so yeah. well, and you you're such you're so connected to the community mm-hmm. because it is a small community. And you're the only one or two there mm-hmm. that everybody kind of knows you, and you know the families and their, their their situations. And then when something bad happens to one of their families, you know it takes a, a toll on you. You know, yeah. whereas in a bigger city environment, not that it doesn't bother you, mm-hmm. but there's there's not the same personal mm-hmm. connection sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the stress of the job can be a lot. Stress from hours that you're forced to work beyond a normal eight-hour day. Like, how many jobs do you know of where at the end of your eight hours, they're like, hey, by the way, you got to stay eight more. Yeah. You know, like, that doesn't, it happens all the time in police work, you know, all the time, you know, routine. And, um, it seems like that's tough, too, because it's not, like a, like, it's not like a low-stress job. It's like, hey, you just worked a really tough eight hours, yeah. but we're going to ask you to work a, another eight hours. Yeah, it's probably going to tax and then, you to and then, the limit. Like Murphy's Law, the, that second eight goes by, and right at the end of the shift, you know, you end up with a, you know, fatal car accident or something, you're there all night, you're there 24 hours, it, you know, you, know, it, you just, 
it takes its toll on you. You see a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. No one's ever happy to see you. Yeah. Who calls 911 when they're in a good mood? Nobody. Yeah. So you basically spend your day, every day, responding to people's worst days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, child abuse, you know, domestic violence, you know, car accidents and fatal car accidents, uh, heart attacks, you know, whatever. All the different things, shootings, you know, different things you see, it's hard. Some, you can't forget it. You can't unsee it. And it takes its cumulative cumulative PTSD over years. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a release for that, you know, you go home and your family can become that release as far as like you become angry or you become disjointed or you become, you know, people turn to the bottle, people turn to lots of different things. And for me, martial arts was like a way out. It was a way to like forget, you know, when I buy onto that mat, it's, you know, my baggage and my problems stay at the edge of it, mm-hmm. and they'll be waiting for me when I'm done, and I'll be better served to handle them later. And when I'm on the mat, I don't have to worry about it. I have to think about what I've seen or done because I'm trying to defend your choke, or I'm trying to defend the arm bar, or whatever, and it's just an escape, if that makes sense. So I think that stress reduction, by far, number one thing. We had our friend Greg Sinelli on the podcast one time, and Greg is like, you know, war veteran, mm-hmm. um, like was a was a um, a navy corpsman and and like his no hearing a lot get blown up and now he's a firefighter in in Saugus Mass and like amazing human being and he was explaining what you're talking about with the accumulative stress is like a cup and it just keep like filling it up filling it up and you got to like get rid of some of that sometimes i think they say that the statistic is something like uh the average police officer in the United States lives to 55 years old. Yeah. So, man, that's 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 taken into into consideration everything, like line of duty deaths, yeah. deaths after they retire, all that kind of thing. But you know, one of the examples that was given to us in the academy was, if you're driving down the street and a car pulls out in front of you, it really, literally, almost hits you, and you slam on the brakes and you get that rush of adrenaline through your body, and your hands are kind of shaking, mm-hmm. and you feel that in your chest. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That feeling that you get. Yeah. Um, how often does that happen to you? That happens to you maybe once a year, maybe twice you know, at the most. When you're working as in, in public safety or military, I mean, depending on where you work, that can happen multiple times a day. Yeah. And every time that happens to you, that takes a little bit off your life. <laughs> you know, because that's, you know, that heart hypertension, all that, yeah. like, that's, that's not good for you. Yeah. And you're, that's happening to you all the time. So having something to, to get away from that yeah. is great. Yeah. So in your department... Do do they what do they re- do they require people to train in any kind of combative type things or the, what people don't get to realize is that when you run an agency a police department you have shifts and you have number of cars that are minimum manpower to cover those areas to answer the 911 calls and when you have a training you have to take people off of those patrol cars and put them in training and then you got to backfill those patrol cars with overtime you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And some of those shifts that are filled are filled with people that didn't want to work to begin with, and now you're doubling up their hours that they have to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's a, it, in, enormously costly to an agency, especially the larger the agency. Imagine a place like Boston where they've got hundreds of cops, and they got to put every cop through, say, a four-hour defensive tactics program. That's costing tens of thousands of dollars to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And... As a martial artist, what does four hours do for you? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know as well as I do, almost nothing. So, yeah. unfortunately, and I've trained thousands of cops uh, and military personnel, 
many of these agencies, and I'm not afraid to say it, it's a checkbox to them. Yeah. It's like, you know what? We showed you on this day at this time by this instructor that you were just shown how to defend your gun or you were shown how to do CPR or you were shown how to you know, use this computer program. And if you don't maintain that and you don't further your own education within it, you know, on your own, that's not our fault. And to some degree, they're not wrong. Because it would be impossible financially, right. and it would be impossible um, in every way to make that happen. So I think that it really does kind of fall on the individual officer. That if they really want to do this job and they want to do it well, they should they should take some vested interest in it. They should go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably have, if you went through my numbers, I got about a little over 200 students. And if you went through our numbers, the number one profession in here is probably law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But that's probably unusual for most schools. I think it's because, you know, my background and stuff. But um, the ones that train are very good. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that don't, you know, it's like any other job. You know, how do you, how do you convince somebody that works anywhere, you know, you should learn this or you should learn that? You know, they, they, they have their opinions. They don't want to do it. There's a lot of other reasons for it. Um, but it's not mandated. Right. It's mandated in the academy, but it's only like 50 hours over six months. So... It's kind of funny, too, because agencies will spend, they'll, they'll, they'll drop $1,000 to send one person to a course for a week to become an instructor, in quotations. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that has zero martial arts training, they'll send them to some course, and the courses are usually pretty good, but it's still five days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and how much can you really learn in five days? And by the end of the five days... You're not an instructor. No. In my... In you're my. Not, you're, and you're limited to instructing the techniques they show you in that class, right? And you're and then you go back and they want you to teach the people there, you know, you know, during, you know, a two hour block, right. you know, one piece of what you learned. And that's how it gets handed down. Versus imagine if they took and I heard someone say this recently and I thought it was a genius idea and I can't remember who said it, but they're like, What if they took that same thousand dollars and they said, We're gonna pay your jiu-jitsu for a year yeah. yeah you know what i mean like oh. you know what i mean like yeah. now the person really is going to learn yeah. because they're going to go a couple times a week and get small doses mm-hmm. and over much better retention long term yeah. than five days by the fifth day you're done you know mm-hmm. your, your body can't even take anymore and then it's over with mm-hmm. and you're really going to experience jiu-jitsu correct like i always because we used to do a thing where you get your first week free mm-hmm. right and it, it was like, for people just coming off the street, I was like, man, this doesn't seem to be working because they're coming in and it's like, you're not really getting a thing out of the week. But like, we started doing a, a deal where you get six weeks for whatever, 69 bucks and a gi. Mm-hmm. And in six weeks, you get much better, someone coming off the street, you get, you know, because if you're coming off the street and you train one night, you're probably going to be sore for a couple of days. You may not, you may only train twice that free week. Mm-hmm. But over six weeks, you'll at least get a chance to see. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you walk through the mall, the food court, they always have those little samples. Yeah. Like that one sample is not going to fill you up. Right. It's just going to give you an idea of what it tastes like. And that's really what any of these beginner programs should be. Another big thing with with policing is that many agencies don't have, uh, some do and some don't, but many don't have light duty. So if you go and join a jiu-jitsu gym and you pop your arm or you're out of work, like you're out of work, you can't go to work, you can't, you don't get paid, you know, so a lot of guys, men and women, I should say, uh, I say that collectively, um, they're afraid to train somewhere and get hurt Mm -hmm. and then they can't work, you see what I mean? Um, There's other things as as far as like, uh, 
you know, not everybody is law enforcement friendly. You go to some schools and there's always those few people there that, you know, either don't like the police or they use it as kind of a, a way to, oh, you know, I can rough this guy up a little bit. Get back at him a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes they don't feel comfortable sure. going places unless they know that they can trust the people there. Um, Sometimes they run into people they've had to deal with before. You know, right. like there's all kinds of reasons for it. And then it should be awkward. Yeah, but the biggest reason, honestly, is you know, I don't think that they all realize how important it is until they're victim of some situation where they need it. I mean, imagine being a lifeguard but you can't swim. Yeah. Would you hire somebody that can't swim to be a lifeguard? I mean, no, you wouldn't. So why are we hiring police officers that can't? defend themselves. I actually thought for years what they should do is like these college universities and stuff like that that have criminal justice programs, they should intertwine over that four years a white to blue curriculum. Seriously. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's part of your degree in criminal justice whatever yeah. is that you by the time your four years is over you have done the requirements to become at least say a blue belt. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and jiu-jitsu. So that goes a long way. Really does. You know? Um, Make it almost like you have to have it to get the job. It's just another idea that it's a great popped idea. in my idea. Yeah, you know? Fantastic yeah. idea. You know, yeah. so, <laughs> but you'll never know. You know, at the end of the day, they can do it if they want to do it. They know where the schools are. They've got the money to do it. It's not like they can't afford it. You know, they don't have the time. You know, Some gyms yep. give breaks to... Oh, yeah. Offer. There's there's more than enough opportunity right. for them to learn. The ones that want to do, the ones that don't, don't. Right. You know, but I will say that ones that do train are usually really good and take it seriously. And then, you know, you can't... You can't can't make everybody a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like not going to happen. Um, do you think that, you know, there's a ton, obviously, like in the news about, you know, officers shooting mm -hmm. people. I even just saw one, and in, in I saw the video, of like, it was in Colorado. And, um, I mean, do you think that training in, in grappling would, would lessen those things? I think it do I think it definitely will. I mean, um, I've never in my 22 years now as you know in law enforcement, and I've like I've said, I've gone all over the country training cops, uh, outside of the country training cops. C cops are cops. I don't care if it's Canada. I don't care if it's you know the Spain or United States. That the personalities are all very very similar. Mm -hmm. And I've never met one in all my career that woke up that wakes up in the morning and says, oh, you know, I'd like to go shoot somebody. Yeah. Like they, they, they don't, I've never met one personally. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm right. saying I haven't met that person. Right. And um, I think that when you go into any situation, the more prepared you are for it, the less likely you are to um, escalate something beyond what maybe is required. Yeah. Um, and I think that most situations that I've ever been in myself anyway as a police officer or I've, had to, or I've seen or I've had to investigate um, did require some kind of grappling skill once it turned into a physical altercation. Most of the police fights that I've seen start, don't start off with big punches being thrown. They, they start off with like a tussle. You know, grabbing back and forth and grabbing at jackets and grabbing at wrists and people pulling people away. People trying to handcuff. You're trying, trying to handcuff hand. somebody and, and they, that's when the person realizes, oh, no, I'm going to jail. You know, yeah. that, that first cup hits, that's when it starts. Mm -hmm. And they, that, that's when they make that decision, oh, I'm going to fight yeah. or I'm not. You know? and, and once that starts, if you don't know how to control the human body or you don't know how to disengage and create distance and, and, and use verbal commands and you get caught in that tussle and they start to overpower you mm, and it's, it's if you don't know what to do it's again it's like getting over your head and not knowing how to swim yeah. you're not magically going to learn that moment you're going to sink like every other person in the world that can't swim 
you know, and uh, I panic think and make it worse. Panic and make it worse. And, and with that, every call a cop goes on has a gun. It's on their hip. You know, so you get into that tussle, you start, you know, wrestling around with somebody, and someone grabs at that weapon. Mm. It's a split second between that coming out and being used against you or some other person in the population. Yeah. I mean, if if you if you got into a fight as a civilian, and someone just say choked you unconscious, that's not a good thing. <laughs> but if they choke me unconscious. And my guns, they take my gun and go get on a school bus. And, you know what I mean? Like, you, you can see where yeah. that could go. So, you know, we have to really make sure that we never lose consciousness or right. get to a point where we can't defend that weapon because who knows what's going to be. The, never mind my life. What about the lives it could, you know, affect beyond mine? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times when those things happen, they happen suddenly with no warning, completely out of nowhere, um, you lose fine motor skill, you get tunnel vision, you get auditory mm. exclusion, you get that rush of adrenaline, you, you, you feel like you ran five miles in two seconds when you get into a real altercation like that. And things, it's almost a surreal feeling. You can look back at the video and say, well, why didn't they do this and why didn't they do that? But in the moment, like if one, right now, you know, one of my guys over there just walked up and punched in the face, yeah. like, you would be like, what's going on? Yeah. It, it would take you a second to even realize what's happening. And it's over already. Right. You know, it's over. It's done. It's split second. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing is what we refer to as discretionary time or non-discretionary time. So discretionary time would be if I'm a police officer and I call to somebody that I need to stop and they're walking across, you know, 50 feet away and they're walking towards me and I can see them rolling their sleeves up and clenching their fists and putting their car keys on the, on the hood of the car. I know, hey, you know, they, they don't look too happy right now. I can start to make a plan as to how I'm going to deal with them. I got 50 feet to make that decision. I have some discretionary time. Does that make sense? Yes. Whereas, let's say I'm searching, let's say I get sent to a burglary alarm, and I get to the house, and the door's kicked in, and I start searching the house, and I open a closet door, and I get punched right in the face. Mm. There's zero time. It's a non-discretionary time thing. I, I have no time to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, I, and then you're in it like that. And I think many of these situations, that's how they un unfold. Yeah. And if you don't have the training to deal with it, you escalate to whatever it is you do know. Uh, I've seen many people explain it other ways, like, you know, if all you ever know is, is uh, going to, say, a certain weapon, when you get under stress, you're going to go to that. But if you have other options, you may do that first. Yeah. And it seems, as an outsider, that police training, you have, to, you have to train on your weapon every year, right? I mean, you have to... Every agency is different. Um, but, you know, like where I worked, it was, we trained all the time. We yeah. had you know, quarterly training, and then I was on SWAT. So I, I actually had to qualify eight times a year, 90% or higher. Whereas that's... that's Totally unheard of in most places, but um, yeah, you qualify under weapon. Yeah. Uh, so many, so so often, depending on the agency, and that's another problem in police work is they're not all created equal. You could have two police departments side by side, and one could have phenomenal equipment and training, and the one right next door could have zero. There's no standard other than the training academy, and once that's done, you, you're done with it. it. There's nothing after that other than there's in-service training. It's every three years in Connecticut. You have to have so many hours and so many categories. Domestic violence, you know, using the collect system, um, you know, driving, shooting, whatever, all these different categories. But it's basically about four days every three years. So just to say you're, you're still certified. Yeah. Um, and then other agencies take it really serious and have a lot of training. It just depends where you work. Like their budget. I mean, the budget must have something to do Absolutely. with it, I'm assuming. The, the places that I feel that it's not even the place, it's the individual. I've seen cops that come from all kinds of departments, some that supply a lot of training and some that supply none, and it's the individual officer that takes pride in the position 
that wants to be, make themselves better, that goes off and finds that, hey, I have a deficiency in whatever this is, and they learn to do it better. And I think that that's ultimately what really needs to happen. Yeah. Um, so what were you doing this morning? You were doing some kind of like training, uh, out, not police training, Yeah, right? so I can't say the company. That's fine. But um, we, we have a, several companies that send their executive protection personnel to us. So basically they're like bodyguards. So there's these Fortune 500 companies that they have CEOs that have to fly all over the world, you know, for meetings and stuff, and they have to go into some dangerous places. And they're targets because of who they are, and they have lots of lots of cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they don't want to. They have to have bodyguards. So, these people um, come to us, you know, frequently to receive close close quarter tactics type training. And their job is a little different than a police officer. A police officer's job is to intervene, stop. Arrest, detain, control, common situation. You know that's why you know if you look at a military uniform or a police uniform, the flag, the stars face the direction of the officer or the the, the uh, soldier. The stars face the battle. And you ever see the old flags um, as they're riding into battle, holding on a horse? The stars lead to the battle. So that's why it's like that. Huh. Now for executive protection, it's totally different. A bodyguard's job is not to do anything but protect the target. I'm not the target, the principle that they have. So we teach them basically how to, if something got to a point where it's going to turn physical, one of them's, one of their job is going to be get the person out of there into a car and gone, and the other person's job is to stay there and take one for the team, <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. and, and subdue the person or whatever they got to do. So um, uh, a lot of close quarter type stuff, a lot of mostly jujitsu type related stuff, but there's also strikes, there's also weapon integration, you know, weapon retention, all that kind of stuff. So you do that through the gym, or is it like a separate? Uh, it, I do it through my, my LLC. Yeah. Yep. So I do uh, executive protection, I do corrections, police, military, all kinds of different units. That's fantastic. Yeah. We just had a class a week or so ago at my other academy in Hebron. I have a second school. And um, uh, we usually hold it here, but I held it there that day. And we had local, state, federal, like FBI, everything. Wow. So, <laughs> So, like a, like a seminar type thing or just like a regular class? Yeah, so I call them officer survival seminars. So basically, like you described that free week that you give people, yeah. I put these things on several times a year um, for police in the area. And, I mean, people drove from Pennsylvania and Maine, and they, they came from everywhere for that three-hour thing, which is kind of cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, I basically put it on for free. And at this time of the year, I tell them bring an unwrapped toy. And then I, as their entrance fee, mm -hmm. and I donate that to the you know community. So we get a mm -hmm. bunch of toys and donate them to the families in the area, or whatever. And um, they come for three hours, mm -hmm. and it's all people that either have limited training or maybe haven't had a chance to do this before, and kind of show them the value of learning something like this. So we take situations that we know they're going to face. A common situation is, you know, for a police officer, when a person is face down on the ground and their hands are underneath their body and they won't give their hands, you don't know if they have something or don't mm -hmm. have something. And trying to get those hands out can be difficult if you don't know how to do it. So a lot of times officers revert to the flashlight over the head yeah. or the punch to the face and all yeah. these things because they don't really know. They're just like, I just want their hands, you know. They, right. And we show them that, hey, you know, put yourself in that person's position. Let me hit you with a flashlight. Right. You're, you're probably not going to give your hand. You're going to try to protect yourself even more and keep your hands even tighter. So we show them methods for that. We show them, and then it grows from there all the way to like standing position where punches come, how to clinch, how to take somebody down, control them, handcuff them. And we use that three hours as just like a basic um, to get their feet wet, like scratch the surface a little bit. This is what you're missing out on. 
And it's been a really good thing doing that because so many of those people go back and sign up at jiu-jitsu schools or go take classes. You know, whether they take them through the program that I do through Lockup Police Combat with uh, it's a week-long officer survival ground fighting class, which is pretty realistic. Um, there's other companies that run courses, and there's a lot of good ones now. There's a, a guy out of New York. I think his name's Jay Wadsworth. I've never met him, but I've seen a lot of his stuff online. It looks phenomenal. Um, he does a, a whole course. He goes around doing that. There's um, Blue Line BJJ, the guy out in uh, Bill. He's out in, uh, I think, Wisconsin or Chicago area maybe. He runs a whole bunch of stuff for policing. There's uh, like Luigi Mandelli out in uh, Danbury does a whole stuff for policing. So there's a lot of places out there now that are offering some pretty significant training. The Gracie Academy with the Gracie Survival Tactics, you know, they have a whole program for police and first responders. So we use those to get people to say, hey, maybe I should go learn more of this. Whether it's a, that week-long class or whether they actually sign up and do it, I think that's important. So even just an example you used where the guy is like laying flat down on the ground with elbows in, and you've seen the video, and like you, so you just, it, it's a good illustration of like, the officer just wants to get at his arms. Correct. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to like hit him with the, he just wants the arms, but like he only knows the thing that looks really, really bad. We call it lawful but awful. So, <laughs> so, so basically like, there are many things that you will see a police officer do on video that's going to look terrible. Looks terrible. Looks terrible, but yeah. it's actually within the law. Right. Like they're able to do that. But I also think there's a better way. Right. You know what I mean? Right. For both parties. You know, because here's the thing. You start swinging for the fences, and you, hit, you aim for the present, but you hit the future. So in other words, you swing to hit them in the ribs, and they move just right at the right time. Right. You hit the point of their elbow, yeah. and you break your hand. Right. Or you hit the pavement, and you break your hand. And now you're going to have a hard time manipulating your weapon. You're going to have a hard time handcuffing. You're going to have a hard time doing anything with a broken hand. You're just not going to be the same. So if we could teach you a way that you're guaranteed to get their hands out or almost guaranteed to get their hands out without having to injure yourself or them, wouldn't that be better? Right. Yeah. And, then, and without causing, without causing like... The panic and chaos among the people exactly. videotaping and watching everything else. Exactly. And, you know, that's the, that's the other thing too. But, you know, at the end of the day, the individual people being arrested also have to realize you don't have a legal right to, to resist arrest. Even if you're... I'll give you an example. I was a teenager, and I got stopped by a police officer and for something that I actually did not do. I did not do it. Okay? It was a complete other person. wasn't me. It was in the same parking lot, but it wasn't me. And that person's gone already. Someone had called it in. But I just happened to be standing there and somewhat matched the description, but it wasn't me. And that police officer comes up to me, and it's snowing, it's raining, and I've got, it's, the wind's blowing. And they're screaming at me and asking me for my ID, and I give it to them. And make a long story short, they finally realize that they got the wrong guy. And instead of saying, like, hey, I'm sorry or whatever, took my license and threw it out into the snow. And it's like, you know, if it wasn't so shitty out, I'd write you for whatever, you know, and, and walked away. And, you know, and, and that's the reason I became a cop. No kidding. Yep, because I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I don't want to be That's that guy. one guy. That's not all of them. I'm not going to judge him by the color of his uniform, I'm going to say, I can make that, I can do that better. And that's why I became a cop. For that one situation. But, or you can be the per people that say, oh, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and all cops are bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know that's not true. Yeah. You know? And that's like saying, like, every school teacher, you know, has inappropriate relationships with their children in school. Right. Or every, because one did. Yeah. But you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, actually, the statistics are way higher than, than police abuse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, 
people don't realize that the, the numbers are overwhelmingly in favor of us when it comes to use of force. There are, how many transactions occur every day between the United States population and police? Right. A million? Like, it's insane, yeah. like the number, of, the number of interactions. And if you really think about it, there's about a half dozen situations over the last four or five years that people have made big deals about. Right. That doesn't even register to one, not even close to 1%. It's like 0. .0000 something percent yeah. of all the interactions that we're arguing about here. And, you know, you're never going to have any profession. I mean, imagine any job you've ever had. If you've worked there for more than a few months, did you make zero mistakes? Right. You no. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Did Every you day. never make a mistake? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, the only difference is if you work in an office and you photocopy the wrong thing, like, you know, well, well end of, it's not the end of the world. If I make a mistake, it actually can be Could the be. end of someone's world. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think it's a, it's a big burden. It is a burden. I mean, yeah. that must wear you down. Yeah, it's a weight. I know that I had a period of time when I retired from my first job where I had some time off. And even just after a few weeks, I remember sitting with, you know, having coffee with my wife in a, in a, in a restaurant, and, um, and she's like, you're back. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, if you're so much different, you know, like you're relaxed, you're not worried, you're smiling, you're, you know, it's like, like a weight lifted off of your chest, you know what I mean? And we grew up together from high school, we with our proms together, like everything, we've been together since, you know, all, all the way from the beginning. And um, she's like, that's how you used to be. You know, so 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, you know, when you're like right now, like if a normal person driving down the street and they get that police officer behind them, I know what it's like to be both people. I know what it's like to be the, the person that's not a cop. It's like, oh, shit, you know, my seatbelt's on, I'm going the speed limit. I'm not swerving. You know, I'm not my phone. Like you get that heart kind of going like you don't want to get pulled over, even though you're doing nothing wrong. Right. You're still nervous. Right. And you have that weird feeling. But I also know what it's like to be the cops. Like, oh my God, let's go. I got to get to wherever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm going to a call. And I know it's not lights and sirens. Just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I don't, why is this guy going yeah, so slow? Yeah, I don't want to pull you over right now. I just want to get to where I got to go. You know. But I also know that cops forget what it's like to be that civilian and feel that way. What it's like to be like nervous because once you've been a police officer for a while and you're around the culture so much, it's kind of like the first time you come in jujitsu. They're kind of nervous, right? They're like, oh, man, I'm going into a place where they choke people and they arm lock people and I see the UFC like, oh, no, you know, is this going to happen to me? Am I going to get hurt? But once you're here for a while, the culture kind of takes over and you're like, oh, this, these are all good people. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't feel intimidated anymore. But new people coming in still feel the way you used to, but you, it's gone for you. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. So to you, you even forget how like, awkward it is to shrimp or Correct. how awkward it is. Yes. Every, every movement is. Correct. So when you're a cop, after a while... You forget what it's like to be that civilian. That's I, like I drive now. If I have a cop behind me, I'm like, whatever. It doesn't matter to me at all. Yeah. You know, I'm actually sometimes irritated they don't stop me because <laughs> I'm thinking it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm on some back road near my house. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like I almost want them to stop me. Like I know they're doing their job. They're like, hey, you know, what's, everything all right? You know, what's mm -hmm. going on? You know, because hey, we get lots of break-ins. We get lots of you know. Mm -hmm. There's a big thing nowadays all over the state of Connecticut. You know, cars getting broken into at night. You know. Houses getting broken into, and they should be out there looking for that. You know, if you get somebody cross the line or they're on their phone or they roll through a stop sign, we don't have to give them a ticket, but, yeah, stop them. Put yourself in front of them. Who are you? Where are you coming from? You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's you know, you might find the person doing whatever it is they're doing. I remember I, I stopped a car one, one night. I, it, as soon as it went by me, it's going really slow, and it had a, a photocopy of a license plate in the back window, mm -hmm. and it was partially covered. So it went by me. 
And I'm like, that doesn't look right. You know, there's something in my head, just, just like rolling, you know, like, okay, this isn't right or that isn't right. You have a sense that you build. Through Why time. is this guy letting yeah, you have this? This. Isn't, this isn't right, right? So I watch it, and then I, I end up um, pulling the car over for the license plate violation, even though I know there's just more to it. And I get up to the car, and there's a little girl in her pajamas, and she's dripping the door handle. This is like about 2 in the morning. Oh and the guy uh, is high as a kite on heroin. Oh you know, uh, it's... So I get him out of the car, I put handcuffs on him, he doesn't have any idea who this girl is, he took her from her house oh. in the middle of the night. No relationship or nothing. What happened was, earlier in the day, he had just got out of prison, he was riding a bike in the neighborhood, and this girl was outside drawing on the, on the ground with chalk, yeah. and her mom, and it's a, it's a city of type environments, so they're all hanging around, and the mom's all talking to them all, and he's... Basically, everybody, the adults are all having a conversation, and the girl's kind of by herself. She's like seven, so he starts to talk to her, befriends her. Pretty soon, that friendship becomes, oh, I like McDonald's. I wish my mom won't bring me. And he's like, oh, really? Maybe sometime I'll bring you to McDonald's. Oh, would you? Yeah. And where do you live? Oh, this building. That's my window right there. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it happened. And it was summertime. The window's up. He went there in the middle of night, knocked. She came over. She slipped the screen. And he took her for... You know, he was, said he was bringing her to McDonald's. Terrifying. Who knows whatever would have happened. Jesus, yeah. man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, there's times where I say, you know, even though I'm not that person, when they're out there stopping things, you never know what they're going to stop. Dude, that's insane. You know? So they might, people get irritated. Oh, I was only doing 15 over or 10 over on the highway, whatever. Yeah, well, you were. Maybe we're not after that. Maybe we're after... Whatever else is going on, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's actually important for people who aren't police officers to probably know, right? Because I would think if I got pulled over, like, man, why are you mess with me? I'm only going ten over, you know. I never mind but being pulled over. Let's put it this way: uh, uh, Ted Bundy, um, the, the, the serial killer, yeah. headlight out. That's how he got caught. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, think about that: Son of Sam, a parking ticket, a parking ticket, caught the Son of Sam. No major serial killer. Um, you look at the the uh, Eric Rudolph. He was the Oklahoma, not the Oklahoma, the, no, um, the, Olympic, the Olympic bomber. Yeah. He was on the run for ten years. They had U.S. Marshals, FBI, everybody looking for this guy. A rookie cop checking behind a business saw him dumpster diving. Didn't even know who he was. Got into a foot chase, grabbed him, arrested him, had him in the back of the cruiser. Another veteran cop shows up, looks in the back, is like, dude, do you know who you have? He's like, no, who is it? You know, like yeah. you know, some guy dumpster diving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, you know, the. Um, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, hanging license plate. Wow. Trooper pulled him over. You know, like, yeah. you know, people don't realize that some of the most notorious criminals of our, of our time have been caught on the most mundane technicalities that you wouldn't even imagine. I had no idea. You know? So, and it's, it's the same thing in jiu-jitsu. It's so true. It's like a small detail can lead to a very big result. Right? Like, who knows? Somewhere in your match for almost two hours, you may have made a decision at a certain point in time that changed the course of what was going to happen. Yep. And you'll never know what that was. Yeah. Or maybe she made a decision. And it's not, mm-hmm. in, in either way, when you win or lose, and Professor Sauer always tells us this, he's like, you know, if, 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 if you tap me or I tap you, let's say you tap me out. Everybody's like, oh man, I messed up. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did that. He's like, well, yeah, okay, well, maybe you did, but. 
you can't ignore what they did right. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you did something right to get there, too. It, I can't take the entire blame. Like, I can't say 100% is my fault. No, it's like 50% his success and 50% my stupidity that got me there. But, you know, it's, it's not always just one person. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you're not giving them credit if you're... Correct. You're yeah. taking all the weight on yourself. Yeah. And it's like you're For not giving selfish. them any credit. Yeah. Yep. Kind of interesting way to look at it. Yeah. It is interesting. I've never heard that. Um, I'm, that dude, the whole thing about the kid in the car blows me away, man. Like that's uh, actually I had a second one like that. I had a um, the actually that the second one I'm going to tell you was actually first, but it was years before that. Mm-hmm. It was you know night I, again another minor technicality. I'm going through a park, and at that night you're not supposed to be in the park. So people get irritated when you pull up and say, "Hey, you can't be in the park. It's you know after hours." But things happen sometimes, right? And they don't want the, the cities, the towns, they want the parks closed. Once the parks closed, they don't want anybody in there. So I'm driving through this park, and I see this car uh, parked. It was, they call it the loop, and this car is parked off to the side. And um, I pull up behind it, I shot my, shine my spotlight, I run the plate, and I walk up to the car. And I walk up to the car, and uh, I open the door, and there's a young girl in the, in the, in the passenger seat, and um, like 12, maybe. And then the guy is probably like 29 or 30. And I won't explain what was happening, but it was, you know, not good <laughs> as I walked yeah. up. Yeah. And um, I, got, I said, hey, get out of the car. And he got out of the car, and he was about 6'8". I said, get back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I called for some help, and I had her come around. I had her sit in my car. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was sexually assaulting her. Yeah. Okay. And uh, they were all at a church function at a movie. And during the movie, her whole family's with her. Everybody's, there's like 50 people from this church. They're at this movie. And during the movie, um, he's sitting near her in the movie theater. And then she gets up to go out to use the restroom, and he gets up and follows her, and he convinces her to go for a drive. Jeez. And he was on the sex offender registry, too. Yeah. So it's like I could have just driven by the car because I don't want to get uh-huh. into the altercation. Well, why are you stopping me? Why I'm just, here, I'm just here in the park, whatever. But I'm like, yeah, you know what? Um, you never know. <laughs> Dude, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It's heavy. It's heavy. So. Good job. Yeah, yeah. man. Seriously. Like, I, I mean, I have a seven-year-old Actually, daughter. the best job in my 20 years is right there, my wife. Oh. She just walked in. She put up with all the... <laughs> um, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's that is crazy. So, what, uh, I mean, you went through all that. You're still training. You got a good academy going. Um, hanging out with your kids now. Oh, that's great. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah everything's great. good. That's great. Man, those two stories blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, we do this thing, we used to have this program called Behind the Badge in West Hartford, where we would uh, bring in college students that were interested in becoming law enforcement, and some of them were on the fence, some of them, you know, weren't sure, so we put on a mock training academy for them for two weeks, and they come during the summer or the intermission between, you know, fall and spring semesters, and they come for two weeks, 40 hours a week, and, you know, they dress the khakis, everything, and and we don't run it exactly like an account. It's not quite that militant, but, you know, we give them a taste of what it's like. Again, that trial period. And they have classes, and they have physical training, and they have self-defense training and shooting and all that kind of stuff. And um, the class I always saw was use of force and all about, you know, what police can and can't do. And we bring them here, actually, and they do uh, a whole day of, you know, um, jiu-jitsu and stuff. And when I taught that class, when we start off, I always hand them out a sheet. It's always well, about four or five sheets, and it's... It's like bullet points, and it'll be like, you know, uh, 
19 year old shot in the throat, you know, like news clips, basically, mm -hmm. like you would see on a newspaper. And there's pages of them. And I'll hand them all out, get them in small groups, and they all read them. And then um, at the end, you know, I'll say, all right, everybody come on in. If, who here would be surprised if I told you those are all real cases within the state of Connecticut? And nobody's surprised. Right. And then I say, okay, well, what if I told you that those were all one town? And a few hands will go up. And then they'll say, well, it depends on the town. And then I'll say, well, what if I told you it's all this town? Mm. And they'll like, whoa, they're kind of like, no way, you know? And then I'll say, what if I told you they're all one officer? And they're like, impossible. And I'm like, they're all mine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and that's, and it's not, I'm not special. Every cop in this department and every cop in every department, every firefighter and every police fire department, every paramedic, they've got a list too. Wow. And they can, you know, I wrote that list in 10 minutes, just sort of off the top of my head, you know? And... That's why these people have experience and they know things you don't. They've been places you haven't. They've seen things that are going to happen. Just like you watch two guys roll that don't really know what they're doing yet. Mm -hmm. And you see one bench pressing the other one off. He doesn't know the danger he's in. Yeah. You 100% know yeah. he's going to get off hard, yeah. you know, every <laughs> single time. And it's the same thing in the real world with what we do. You know, we see danger that we know is dangerous that's going to that's gonna produce that same armbar effect. And you were trying to stop that from happening. Yeah. It's crazy. You need to tell all these people these things. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they'll listen to that. Certain people are going to listen, certain right. people aren't, and that's just the way it is. You know, it's, um, you know, but I, I, I do think that in my career I've been very lucky. I've worked with great people. I've had great instructors. I mean, even in, like, you know, when I went to college for forensics, uh, I had Dr. Henry Lee as one of my instructors. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, I've always been very, very lucky to have great instructors, whether it was high school, college, martial arts, whatever, police work all the FTOs I had, all the people that were my supervisors, they were just always, I always had great people. So it was, you know, I guess luck uh, or whatever, but because you never know what you're going to end up with, but I was fortunate. And uh, if we can keep that going forward, that's the, that's the important part. Um, so the Officer Survival School, like, mm -hmm. it, do you, is there a website for that or that we can? Uh, well, the company that I do the longer one through, like the, uh, the, the short ones I just do here through me. Yeah. If it's a longer course, um, the week-long class, for example, there's a company, uh, Lockup Police Combat, Kevin Dillon, he runs it. He's a retired Weathersfield cop, and um, he runs – policecombat.com is his website. And when I do the, the longer courses, it's through his company. Even though I run the whole thing, mm -hmm. it's quite different than the other courses he offers, the, the one that I do, because it's all focused on the ground. Um, whereas the other ones are more like they, they integrate baton and OC and, and um, handgun and uh, a lot of suspect takedowns and handcuffing and stuff like that, more arrest and control. And the one I do is officer survival. So the difference between arrest and control and officer survival would be this. Arrest and control is, hey, you come here, put your hands behind your back, I'm going to cuff you, and maybe the guy pulls away a little and you just put him to the ground and you cuff him. That's arrest and control. Somebody that maybe is being somewhat defiant or pulling away or maybe... Um, not 100% cooperative in the matter, but they're not 100% attacking you either, mm -hmm. okay? Officer survival is the complete opposite. It's the person's turned predator on you. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to you know, take you to the ground, keep punching the face, grab your gun. Like, it's another, another level of force. So that's the one I teach. Which everybody, all police officers, I feel like it's. I think they be. should, yeah. but, you know, you know I'm, I guess I'm biased. <laughs> Even though I feel like all humans should probably take this... Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that because I think so many civilians watch 
videos of police interactions and they think, well, why don't they do this or why don't they do that? Much like people watch the UFC. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why doesn't he just get up? Just get up. Just because, get up. Why? Because Damian Maya's on top of him. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. he's not going to get up. But they've never experienced that. Yeah. If you've never experienced what it's like to be mounted by a legit black belt that knows right. how to hold a mount, you can't fathom yeah. it. You, can't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, there's, it doesn't make sense to you. Or a kid's jujitsu tournament and the parents are screaming stuff. On yeah, the great example. You know, they, it, you, when you know what's going on, it makes you sick to hear. Yeah, like, because they have no there. concept right. of what it's like. Because they've never been there. Yeah. You know? That's the problem. I just had Abraham, Abraham Marte on the mounted last night. You know who that? Oh day? yeah, you know that's not a good day. No <laughs> man, that was like. Well, I guess it depends how you look at it. It's a good day for it the learning. It was a great day, but for it's learning. not good if you're like on the receiving end of it in oh. a bad situation. He luckily he's a nice human being, mm-hmm. and we had three good rolls. He kept he's like, oh, let's roll again. I'm like, oh my god, man. Um, he yeah. is a super fun guy to roll with. That's great. Um, Brad always brings in Brad Wilson, another just an awesome guy, great school. I I. I, I I've made some really good friends in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad's are at the top of the list. Yeah. Just such a good person, yeah. great environment, you know. And I remember when he went from being a writer yeah. to, I remember he was like, Rob, I'm doing it. I'm like, doing what? He's like, I'm going to pull the plug and just open a school. Wow. And, and, and he did it. And, man, I mean, that's, that's something that's so cool to me, too, is like, where would we all be if people like him or whoever, you know, didn't open whatever academy? Like, let's say this place didn't exist. Where would all those 200 people, would they have ever done this? Would they have ever met? Would they be, you know, there's friendships that develop. There's, mm-hmm. there's relationships that develop. There's things that develop within these academies that never would have existed. Yeah. If, I, if Brad Wilson didn't do his thing, like, we wouldn't be sitting here. Because Correct. I came here it's all through, connected. Brad was like, hey, we're doing this thing. You, you know, you yep. guys should come and you sell soap at the thing. Yep. And, and I like, met Brad right. because of Luigi. Yeah. You know, we had a tournament. Uh, he, Luigi had a tournament, and I went down, and, and Brad and I competed against each other. Nice. And from that point on, you know, we're years ago. Yeah. Purple mm-hmm. belts. And then uh, right away, we were friends. Yeah. You know? He so. said all the same. Like, I told him last night, I was like, oh, we're going to see Rob and uh, Rich tomorrow. He's like, oh, what time? I, I, I love those guys. Like, I'd really like to come. Yeah. But he's taking a, he has, he's like working on his Spanish. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah, he's yeah. taking a Spanish yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. And a Jay Bell, of course, is my another, uh, you know Jay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just, you know, him and Jimmy Campbell. Uh, Jimmy's a Hartford cop, too. Um, just phenomenal black belts, good people, good instructors. And you can tell when you walk into their schools, the people, you know, the way they talk to each other, the way they talk to you. The, you know, I've been at schools where they ignore you. Yeah. I remember I went to a school not too long ago. Actually, my wife will remember this. I, I walked into a school. Uh, I, the guy knew I was a black belt. I was like, hey, you know, I want to just jump into class. Completely ignored me, wow. and as soon as the class was over, he walked out. Oh, you know, and I'm like, weird. I didn't, never had any run-in with him, nothing. It's just mm-hmm. weird, you know. Yeah. And then you know, go to places like that, like Brad's, so welcoming. Yeah, you know, and and it's an example, you know, right? Like, yeah. so I know, like, when I, I, our gym, it's like we got, you know, we want to have the same vibe. Mm-hmm. We want to, we want to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Because that's what it's all about for me, really, now. And I've been so fortunate to meet all you guys, like, super lucky. Um, I was telling Rich, like, I've been surrounded by amazing humans, all because of jujitsu. Well, this place, you know, like, everybody looks to me and, like, well, it's your place. Well, you know what? This place doesn't exist without a few people. Yeah. You know, like, obviously my wife, but um, Jerry, La- uh, Jerry Navarra um, and Mike Rossi. And Jimmy Codges, those three guys, like uh, Mike, Mike Rossi and Jerry Navarro were judo black belts. I met them at the school that I was kind of training in, you know, years and years, years ago, Junon Chin Martial Arts. 
it was here in Manchester, and the guy's name was Stephen Luckingham, and uh, he was getting ready to retire, mm-hmm. and basically that allowed me to take over and kind of build a jiu-jitsu program, but without those guys, this wouldn't exist, because yeah. they've stuck with me all those years and trained and, and, mm-hmm. and helped teach, and they're, they're not even, they're, they're beyond training partners, they're you know, friends yeah. forever. Absolutely. In fact, they call us the four horsemen, like the guys around here. These are the four original black belts. You know? oh, so, so it's cool. kind of cool. That is cool. Definitely. So what's, uh, what, what do you plan? What do you got planned for the future? For the future? Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I kind of I, I look at it like, you know, you have you know, the day you're born, the day you die, and, and, and you have those bookends, you know, whatever years those are. And there's actually a poem. It's called The Dash. You ever read it? Mm-mm. And everybody looks at the, the gravestone and they see whatever the dates are, and that's mm-hmm. what they focus on. But actually, the whole life takes place in the dash. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like we're still in the dash. We don't know what's going to happen. And I just hope that um, keep doing jiu-jitsu, keep teaching it. I, I started another academy in Hebron with a couple of my other students, wow. and um, it's doing well. And uh, I actually might start a podcast you kind of dude you should, yeah you that. should do it man so, you're so like i would listen i would yeah. listen yeah. well it'd be more to bring other people in and stuff like that i thought of doing that i don't know if i will or not mm-hmm. um i really like doing the police te- teaching police yeah. Yeah. but i also kind of thought you know, i had an idea you know i don't know how to go about doing it but to do like a use of force for just regular people yeah you know, have a class in the community where people come mm-hmm. and they can get the whole PowerPoint and they can learn people from the community. I've done classes for people that hate the police. Right. And they come in and by the time I'm done explaining everything and showing them, they've been like, wow, I never knew any of this. And yeah. they'll shake your hand and be like, hey, I'm sorry. And I was, <laughs> sorry for what? And they're like, I just didn't know. I didn't know any of this stuff, you know. like, And once they know it, then they're like, wow, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Dude, it, because like you said earlier, right, like, we all know that bad things are happening, but when you tell me the story of it, you encountering these people and these things, and I'm getting chills hearing it. Yeah, imagine you know? that's your own, you know, your own pride. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, can you imagine? No. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. It's crazy. And, 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 you know, there's thankfully there's people out there that still want to walk that thin blue line, you know, that that between good and evil because... If those people didn't exist, I don't care how much you hate the police. I've, I've been on calls where they're like you know, screaming at you, yelling at you, calling you all kinds of names. Mm-hmm. I hate you, you know, whatever. And then, you know, three days later, they're the ones calling 911. Mm-hmm. Come help me. You know what I mean? So yeah. in their worst moment, when the shit hits the fan and they're really scared and something bad has just happened, their car rolled over and they're down in an embankment, and they're, gone, they, they're trapped, they're going to call. Yeah. No matter how much they say they hate us, they're going to call. They're not going to sit there and die. They're going to mm-hmm. call. And then they're going to be glad you got there. You know what I mean? Like, look at those Dallas uh, cops that were killed. Uh, all six of them a few years ago during that, um, it was a uh, Black Lives Matter um, organized event. And those cops were on the line for hours getting screamed at and told, you know, they're racist and everything else. And when the gunshots start ringing out, they right. start jumping in front of these people and yeah. protecting the very same people that were yelling at them all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that occurs in all kinds, not just not just that one movement, but mm-hmm. many movements. And uh, it's the same. I've been on those lines too, and you're getting yelled at all day. And, you know, you just can't take it personal. It's, they're yelling at the system. They're not necessarily yelling at you, but it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So you did a great episode with Luigi Mondelli. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should plug that too. His, his fight works. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, uh, Fightworks podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, it was good. It was, he was he was great. I like yeah. I like him a lot. I He's look a up to him guy. a lot. You know, it's one of those guys where I, if, if 
if for some reason it was not possible for me to train with Professor Sauer anymore, you know, he's one of those guys I would, I would, you know, gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. I just think he's a good person. Yeah. What's your website here? ManchesterBJJ.com. Cool. Or you can also Google uh, HebronBJJ.com because they both connect to the same site. Very cool. Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks yeah. For, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having for, me on. Uh, oh man, loved it. Yeah. Love it. I love. I just love coming training with you, man. Like I just use this as an excuse to come train with people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, best stories by far. Good, man. Powerful, powerful stories. Um, so people should come train here. Like if you're ever in Manchester, Connecticut area, mm. come and train here. We have people come all the time. It's pretty. You know, I, I would say there is not too many weeks that goes by where someone just doesn't randomly walk in. Hey, I'm here. You know, oh, come on in. You know, like. Uh, come train. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a nice area too. Like yeah, there's um, a lot around. You know, you know, it's it's there's definitely things to do around here. It's not not the it's the woods. <laughs> yeah, it's the place to compete. Right. Yeah, you know, everybody keeps record. telling us about that too. <laughs> uh, Greg Wood, another great guy. You know, um, super nice guy. Him and uh, Brad and I kind of Greg's been helping us the last few submission challenges as well. And people are constantly asking us, "You doing another one? You do another one? Do another one?" And it's we want to. It's just like an enormous undertaking. Yeah. You know, it's an enormous undertaking. It's a lot of stress. And uh, the last time we did it, you know, it was tough because we had all these people that were supposed to come and help um, with the refs, oh. refing. Oh. And then that day, you know, there was a ton of people that got, you know, they, they just didn't make it here. Yeah. You know? And some had some very good reasons, you know. But, um, and then you, you just don't want to give people a bad experience. Yeah. You know, so it's... It's, it's even worse tough. than not doing it at all. Correct. No. Yeah, yeah. Because we've had a lot of positive feedback about the tournament when we run it. It's usually pretty, pretty smooth, uh, pretty on time, and pretty organized. But, and that's all because of the staff that we have helping us. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for, and, and if you don't have that, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I know Jay and uh, Jay Bell and um, uh, Jimmy Campbell have been running a lot of comp- competitions at their place too, that have been pretty, pretty good. So. I think I saw that. Yeah. Like Sapatero. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I heard uh, amazing stuff about it. So. Yeah. But maybe we'll do it again. I think we will. I just don't know when that's going to be. Mm-hmm. But it's there's not a week that goes by where I don't get a message or wow. you know Facebook or something like, hey, doing it again. I say, well, Let us know, man. We'll come down. We'll come down and help you. Absolutely. Yeah, do something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had a good time at the last because we want to because like the medals. I mean, we don't want to just get these little. Yeah, like, they're we, cool. We, we go out. We do. You know, because we usually go some. You know, any tournament I've ever been to is you don't always get. You walk out of there with some little plastic thing, and you're like, oh, okay. But we wanted people to come and have an experience and have something that they can really, you know, look back on. And yeah. uh, So with those things, they don't give those things away, man. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's tough. Then you get the insurance and the porta-potties and all. Like, it, it, there's, there's not much left in the end when you right. – plus with a submission challenge, submission only, you can't have the numbers of students. I mean, the number of uh, competitors. Right. You know, like you have a large tournament for points, you can have – a thousand, you know, like Nagas will have a thousand yeah. people, but can you imagine a thousand in this? We usually yeah. run about a hundred to one hundred twenty-five. Yeah. So <clears throat> go on for those days. matches. You know, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do it. You know, it'd just be too long. Mm-hmm. So. Well, thank you very much. Oh, dude. It was yeah. awesome. Great. We'll do it again sometime. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again. Um, hopefully, we'll see you soon. We'll yeah. Come back. Come back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Always welcome. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, brother. Yep. Peace, everybody. Thank you.